This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. We are going to be looking at the NAR in Christian Nationalism statement uh, written by uh, uh, Joseph Matera, who's with us, Dr. Matera and Dr. Michael Brown. It's going to be an exciting program. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Well, we've got an exciting program for you today. Lots of really great stuff going on. Uh, but before I dive into all that subject matter, I've got to remind you that Remnant Radio is entirely crowdfunded. So uh, if you want to support the channel, you know we're not going to prevent you from doing that. Uh, in fact, we've put links in the description because you've been so eager to give. Uh, you can give a one-time gift there on PayPal or you can be a recurring giver there on Patreon. If you give on Patreon, uh, as low as five bucks a month, you'll get access to extra content there on Patreon. So that's kind of cool uh, and excited for all that. Uh, I want to introduce you to my guest today, Joseph Matera, and I've got Michael Roundtree there as well. But before I do that, I've got to remind you about the conference coming up March 2nd through the 4th, the Remnant 2023 Healing and Deliverance Conference there in North Carolina. If you want to go, also links in the description. Make sure to snatch those up because seats are going quick. In fact, we sold out and found a bigger venue and are going to sell out again. So if you want to go, register now. Uh, Without further ado, uh, Joseph, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry so people who aren't familiar with you can familiarize themselves uh, with what you do. Sure. Well, I do have a website, Joseph Matera with two Ts.org. Uh, gives a brief bio, but um, I started a church in a very at risk Spanish ghetto called Sunset Park in 1984. And we were able to see the community that was infested with gangs and drugs and abandoned buildings and witchcraft and Santeria and all that stuff. We saw that whole community transformed. In about 10 or 12 years, just with gospel propagation, fasting, prayer, mass deliverances, and uh, even a lot of healing services. Um, And uh, in about 1999, uh, after doing numerous uh, citywide prayer events and other kinds of events, we started a network of of, uh, pastors called Christ Covenant Coalition, which still exists today. And then in 2014, I was commissioned by the International Coalition of Apostolic Leaders to to launch the United States Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, uh, and uh, that's still going strong today. I have five beautiful biological children, married for 42 years, eight grandchildren, and many, many, many spiritual children. It's a delight to be with you guys. Amen. That's awesome. Well, cool. Got family life, got ministry life, and all kinds of things going. Well, we're excited to uh, to talk with you, Joseph, and uh, we're not going to 
call you Dr. Matera because you told us at the top of the sh- or before the show you like to be casual, but you did earn that degree, so we'll we'll at least acknowledge it. So, uh, but Joseph, uh, we're talking about this NAR statement that you and Dr. Brown uh, released, and I, I just I have this quote and I I found it online, and this was just kind of and I was wondering if you could unpack this a little bit for us. It's from you, and uh, man, I didn't write down the source of it. I think it was a Newsweek article, but I didn't write it down right here. Anyway, doesn't matter. You said it, so we we have the horse's mouth right here. And um, <laughs> don't and insult our guest, Michael. It's the first time he's on. Don't be calling him a horse this <laughs> early on in the program. I go, it's messed we, up. it quickly. I, I called you doctor, and then we went to horse. Straight so, to horse. <laughs> so well, um, you you said. <laughs> I've been very concerned that, is rationale for creating this statement, I've been very concerned that as 2024 looms, if Donald Trump runs for president again, those unhealthy prophetic voices mm. might get louder. The secular and evangelical press are starting to lump people like me and Michael together with all these extreme elements. Uh, could you expand on that just a little more? Sure. Well, dovetails off of the reason why we wrote the prophetic standard statement uh, I had called Dr. Brown up in the fall before the election and told him I'm really concerned there's going to be a lot of crazy things going on. And uh, we planned to convene a meeting of 25 charismatic leaders that evolved into me writing a prophetic standard that uh, Michael tweaked. And then we went back to a lot of these national leaders, got input from them and released a prophetic standard because of all the aberrant prophetic methodologies that were coming forth. Um, And then the same thing happened about three months ago. I just had a strong sense that we couldn't uh, just be passively waiting for the crazy extreme stuff to come out again. Uh, And I knew that as 2024 came, uh, especially Donald Trump decided to run again, we were going to have to Uh, do something and say something because the NAR bogeyman was going to get bigger and bigger in the eyes of the secular press and many Mm -hmm. in the evangelical world. And they were lumping extreme forms of Christian nationalism together now with the NAR that that did not happen up until about the last year, I guess. And we had to make a statement and we were at first going to have two separate statements, but then because of the conflation between politics and the apostolic in the eyes of many, we felt, eh, let's just do it in one statement. Some may not want to sign it because they don't agree with the Christian nationalism statement, vice versa. So we might have hurt ourselves in terms of conflating the two. But um, yeah, there is a real concern um that, uh, uh, you know, the people who prophesied wrongly about Trump will dig in their heels even more, manifest even more, uh, and then even extreme uh, groups, let's say some extreme militia groups on the right, and even extreme on the left, people like Antifa and others, uh, will uh, manifest. And uh, we would need to give discernment to those in our own ranks. That was the primary reason why we wrote it uh, and help them understand what we believe, what we don't believe, give them a biblical basis for it, give them some language for uh, understanding how to apply biblical principles to what's going on today. And so that was the impetus for the writing of this NAR and even the prophetic standard statement. 
That's that's good, and and we I think we have some um, uh, sympathetic instincts uh, like you do when it comes to getting ahead of this stuff and really holding our own people accountable. Uh, for those of you who know, one of our most viewed videos on on YouTube right now is a 2020 prophetic review video. It's eight hours long. Um, Dr. Michael Brown came on. Ken Fish came on. Oh, geez. Uh, Jordan, uh, Keener, Sam Craig Keener, Storms, Sam Storms, Jack, Jack Deer, Jordan Robinson. Is it Robinson? Am I saying his last name correctly there, Michael? You, you know who I'm talking about. Anyway, Mike Winger, a nope. bunch of charismatics came on and we watched videos of guys giving prophetic words that did not come to pass. And we tried to hold them accountable according to 1 Corinthians 14, 29, that the other prophets are to weigh uh, and judge what's being said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22, uh, that says, you know, uh, when a prophetic word is given, you shouldn't despise prophecy, but you should cling to what is good and reject what is evil, uh, test everything. Uh, we try to do that. So we have some very uh, similar instincts uh, as Joseph you when it comes to, hey. not despise prophecy. Did right. I say despise prophecy? I think you said you should despise prophecy, wow. but I could have missed the not. Okay. <laughs> there's, that, a there's a slip there, guys. There's, there was two. a slip there, obviously, if I told you to despise <laughs> prophecy. Not really uh, in our uh, in our vocabulary here at Remnant. So uh, I, I, we, we uh, again, have similar instincts, I think, that uh, Joseph has here. Uh, I, I want to ask a little bit about, you know, Doug and Holly's work on the New Apostolic Reformation, which I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, as they are one of the most... Uh, I don't say academic in this space, t- titling NAR. There's a lot of people online on YouTube who are, you know, using the phrase NAR as just a catch-all for charismatic. And charismatics make them uncomfortable, so they call everyone NAR as kind of a, you know, uh, a, a slander, if you will. Whereas Doug and Holly, I think, in their first book, the one that me and Michael read, uh, seem to very, uh, very, at least intentionally try to categorize these people in these kind of three criteria. They said, hey, uh, they haven't, uh, the, the, the NAR has an uh, an ecclesiological hierarchy based on the fivefold, with apostles and prophets being at the top. Uh, they have access to supernatural power by rightly aligning themselves with this eschatology, and the 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 govern the people who govern in these churches they govern by creating new practices um, and and new strategies on how to accomplish God's will that come from those apostles and prophets. So three tiers. Fivefold organization, that through that fivefold organization, you have some kind of supernatural power in your local churches. And thirdly, that these apostles and prophets create new strategies and doctrines uh, in order to uh, to continue to push along the movement. Now, they'll also say that there are seven mountain mandates stuff, some of that nationalist stuff they'll, they'll say is also in there. Uh, we disagree with Doug and Holly on some, some stuff. We do agree with Doug and Holly on other stuff. But I'm curious, uh, uh, Dr. Matera, when it comes to uh, those three categories, when you were writing the prophetic standard, or not the prophetic standard statement, but the, the statement on NAR and Christian nationalism, were you intentionally trying to distinguish yourself from charismatics that held those three positions? Or were you trying to voice to the heretic hunting community, I don't know what you think the NAR is, but we're not that? Um, like, are you, are, you, are you admitting that there are people out there who kind of function within those three categories? Or is it more of a, you know, messaging to political leaders and people who are unaware of charismatic spaces that you don't believe the things that you're claimed of believing. I'm curious where you would stand on those. You got to realize I've been involved in the apostolic movement since 1989. And uh, I've already written against a lot of these practices prior to Doug and Holly's books. I even have a book out on essays and apostolic leadership and one chapter is on abuses in the apostolic movement. And I even used the term NAR in an innocent way because that was just the way we uh, understood a post-denominational or non-denominational movement or collective 
working together. So people will say I'm NAR because I mentioned it in my book in 2015. But, but in terms of all those abusive practices, using titles as a hierarchy over others, uh, claiming some kind of supernatural power, even some of these prophets, so-called prophets, even like uh, Todd Bentley uh, and others, they claim to have had conversations with departed saints. Todd, I remember, said that Abraham uh, came to him and told him who wrote the book of Hebrews. I mean, I wrote a whole Ooh. position against Todd Bentley in, before mm. the book came out. Um, I think I released a 15 or 20 page position paper, you know, whatever it was, 10, 12 years ago. Um, and so we were all, always talking against some of these abuses, um, even debating people within the movement who were doing some of this stuff. Uh, and, and so I don't even remember Holly's book saying those three things. I think I quickly went through it when I was writing my book on the uh, global apostolic movement that just came out. But no, I would say it's the latter. We were just in general trying to, uh, as I, I wrote the first version of it, just looking back at some of the aberrant practices in the name of the apostolic. And then I went to Michael and said, okay, what do you think it is? And maybe you could add some more or take away, you know, and tweak this. So that's how we began. So, so it sounds like you're not necessarily even denying that there are charismatics out there who are practicing these abuses. You're saying that you're writing against those guys, but the motivation for the article itself or for this statement was to, to, to um, signal to people who were trying to hunt, her uh, hunt heretics that you weren't the heretics that they were looking for. <laughs> Jedi mind trick. These are not the heretics you are looking for. <laughs> uh, well, well, okay, go ahead. You, you're about to talk. Go ahead. No, no, it's fine. Go ahead. Okay. Well, um, I, I'm curious. You know, we've talked about Doug and Holly, uh, Holly Pivot, Doug Guyvet, who uh, who wrote uh, some now a few definitive books on the so-called New Apostolic Reformation. Now, they would strongly claim that there is such a thing as a New Apostolic Reformation that believes a lot of the stuff that your statement criti criticizes, critiques. Um, would you then disagree? And I, I think, well, I'm just going to ask it because I, I know this is real similar to Josh's question, but I was just seeking clarity. Would you disagree with Holly and Doug on the fact that a NAR even exists? Well, the genesis of the NAR statement is Peter Wagner had a symposium on post-denominationalism at Fuller uh, Seminary in 1995. Out of that, he met apostolic leaders and some, I think, convinced him not to say post-denominational because it would seem like they're against denominations. So he came up as a sociologist, the name New Apostolic Reformation, which he started using in the 2000s. He was describing a spontaneous uh, a movement of churches and visionary leaders globally that uh, he gave the word New Apostolic Reformation, meaning it wasn't driven by denominational leaders. However, there was no global conspiracy that was man-made. People didn't necessarily even know each other. A lot of people accused of being in the NAR never even heard the term until recently. So I would disagree with them that it is an organized, intentional, global 
hierarchical conspiracy that is man-made, I would say uh, it's a spontaneous divine movement where God is raising up apostolic leaders all over the world. And by the way, this started in the early 20th century. It's not something new. And uh, yeah, and he just, as a sociologist and a researcher, gave a name to something. Uh, so that's how I would phrase it. But the way right. it's been characterized now, I definitely am not one of them. Now that it has been calcified and used in a, in a, in a certain way to describe certain aberrant behaviors, me and Michael are saying we're not that. Even though we would deny there's a global organized conspiracy, we would say whatever the NAR is and what they're defining it to be, we are not that. Okay. Yeah. It's my understanding that, in, and please push back, I, I, I was trying to pull up a quote as you were talking just now uh, from Doug and Holly's book, um, and I might pull it up here in a second. I want to make sure that we try to fairly um, articulate their position, and I know that's something that you would care about as well, as people are misarticulating your position. So uh, I, I think that Doug and Holly's position is that it can be two things. It can be formal organized structures, um, but that it also can be movement related. And it was why they often use movement language is that it's not formalized. It's not organized. Um, you, they don't have, uh, you know, statements in their denominational papers. This is what we believe about apostles and prophets, or this is what we believe about this group. Uh, and I think that's typically why they use those three criteria to determine if someone is in a NAR space or not. And to be fair, Joseph, I think that you're probably right that oftentimes people even from Doug and Holly, I've sent Holly messages privately over Facebook Messenger talking about guys like Jack Deere. And I'm like, if Jack Deere's NAR, everyone's NAR. Like, I'm NAR. M Michael Roundtree's NAR. We're all, I mean, Jack Deere knows 19 languages, you know, is a lexicographer and has no stomach for, you know, wacky, charismatic stuff. He never had an apostle over his church. He never created new doctrines based off of prophets. Um, he didn't believe that, you know, your church was going to be more evangelistically empowered or prophetically empowered if you were submitted to an apostle. So I, I do think that oftentimes people um, that are labeled NAR are labeled NAR guilt by association. And charismatics are willing to associate with people of a wider doctrinal diversity than non-charismatics often. So there, there seems to be a guilt by association right. that I think is unfair. But I do think that but in their categories... It Go ahead, Michael. Oh, even in that, I mean, I remember in Holly's follow-up conversation with you, she said, you might disagree with our designation, but the reason we labeled Jack this way is because he taught in Peter Wagner's apostolic school right. of sounded very gnar. <laughs> sure, sure. And so, I mean, I, I think they are trying to look at data and make assessments. We also have a very personal relationship with Jack and know that he's not any of that stuff and just probably was friends with Peter Wagner. And so, Josh, to kind of continue with your point, there is this thing that I, I think, and I would just be curious on, Holly and, on how Holly and Doug respond to this, but there is this reality that charismatics just tend to relate to people across a broader spectrum uh, than non-charismatics do. They're like, oh, cool, you're one of these embattled people that believe in all the gifts. Cool, I'm, I'm friends with you. And then it turns out they might have a whole bunch of baggage too. So yeah. uh, I, anyway, but I, I don't, I don't want to cut off your thought. You no, were, you I wanted that? to ask Joseph if, because I asked this question of Dr. Michael Brown, it, would it be helpful to find like those three categories? If we're not going to say NAR, if we're not going to, because I do think it's helpful. I think there's a utility to say there are charismatics who are outside the bounds of safety. They're certainly dangerous. I'm not willing to walk around saying that they're heretics because 
they haven't denied many of them, if all of them that I know of, haven't denied Jesus as the, the one true Messiah, haven't denied the Trinity, uh, still affirm justification by grace through faith alone. They're certainly playing with a dangerous line of authority when it comes to prophecy and scripture. But is would you think that there's a utility in identifying within the charismatic movement where this and not that? And should we or could we name that group of people in order to distinguish ourselves from them? I'd be curious what your take on that would be. Yeah, well, you know, I think that there's so many nuances here, even Doug and Holly calling an AR a movement. I didn't even realize they called it a movement. And and so what most people are taking from statements are, you know, it's a some kind of organized movement. And in terms in terms of distinguishing ourselves from other charismatics uh, who are practicing some of these things. I mean, I'm sure some of our friends, me and Michael's friends, were really upset at this statement. And maybe some of it called out some of their practices. Uh, many people tried to get us to name names, and I wouldn't do that because in the spirit of Christ, I don't want to throw somebody under the bus if 10% of their practice may be a little off. Maybe there's ignorance there. But 80 90% of what they do really is glorifying God, and, and in their heart, they're doing it unto the Lord. So I, I don't want to be some kind of heresy hunter. And Nowadays, the new heret, heretic is actually the ones who vote for a political party or a person right. running for all. Uh, most charismatics and evangelicals don't even know some of the essentials of the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian Creed and all of the major confessions. And so the new uh, heretic with the conflation of Christian nationalism and the apostolic is, who did you vote for? Did you vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Right. So I'm very concerned about the lack of theological depth that's taking place and uh, in, in the charismatic world. And uh, there was a book that came out, new, uh, what is it called? Independent Network Christian Christianity, the INC, which was the term they gave it, not NAR which I'm more comfortable with, uh, Oxford Press a few years ago, very academic book. And um, they unfortunately thought that the apostolic movement was only those who focus on signs and wonders and subjective prophetic words. And uh, I had to talk to one of the leaders of Christianity Today that highlighted that book. And I said, hey, there's a lot of theologians among us. There's a lot of scholars. They don't know what's really going on. They didn't get this right. And so they unfortunately characterized the whole movement as just the signs and wonders uh, experience chasing movement, which, you know, that's wrong. Um, so, yeah, a lot of us do have theological depth. We do study the church fathers. We do understand the councils. As a matter of fact, some of the teachings I do is based on the commonatory of St. Vincent of Lorenz, where to discern whether something is really of God. What did the church councils say? If they didn't deal with them, what did the doctors of the church say? Was there consensus universally or was it just a small uh, region that taught something? And so we really try to use a plumb line of church history and a long line of doctrine and, and apostolicity is defined more by function. And uh, the church historically recognized the successors of the apostles were really the bishops. 
um, after, you know, when the middle of the second century on. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff here and people just are not nuanced. And uh, we're just trying to bring a biblical plumb line and no one individual can do that. We need a dialogical community or a hermeneutical community uh, to do that. So we, I regularly meet every week with 50 apostolic leaders from some parts of the world, but mostly the United States, and we're always unpacking scripture together. So we're trying to be very, very careful uh, to, to, uh, to, to say what we believe and try to get exact in that, but also to hear from other theologians and scholars that are not in our movement. So there's so much to talk about here. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I want to read you a quote from uh, Holly Pivik, Doug Guyvett. And, uh, and this quote, it is critiquing your statement, and I'd love to just hear your response, okay? They say, uh, many NAR leaders have removed language from their websites where they once, so they're going to speak broader than your statement at first, but then they'll get to it, uh, from their websites where they once described themselves as being part of the New Apostolic Reformation, and they produce videos and issued statements downplaying their extreme teachings and claiming they're not part of the New Apostolic Reformation, They've also accused critics of the NAR of being conspiracy theorists who have either made up or exaggerated the size and dangers of this movement, despite well-documented evidence to the contrary. And then here's your part. Matera and Brown's statement is gloss and spin and does nothing to diminish the real and serious concerns that have been raised by the critics of NAR. If anything, it raises concerns about the tactics that have been increasingly deployed to defend NAR leaders and to deflect attention away from their teachings about authoritative apostles and prophets giving new revelation. So this seems to be their primary concern is apostle authoritative apostles and prophets giving new revelation. Now I know you have a statement within uh, within your statement about that new revelation, but maybe for starters, what's your response to their suggestion? that your statement is gloss and spin and doesn't address their real concerns, but rather just defends your friends than our leaders. What, what would you say to that? Well, me and Michael spoke about this. We both thought that they got some somehow offended by our statement. Maybe they thought we were doing something to up the ante over them of what they're doing, because that was very, very unusual. And uh, I had a three-hour phone call with Holly and Doug. We had a good friendship going, as far as I know, pre-COVID. And we've regularly dialogued. I've sent them my teachings. I even quote their book in my new book uh, and, and tell people to get their book. So I felt that was a gut punch. And I texted Doug when I read that. And, and Doug sort of apologized. And he said, it wasn't personal. And then I came back and I said, you mentioned my name. It was personal. I said, but I'm ready to overlook this. Why don't you get on a table with me and you and Holly and let's talk about everything. And if you think I'm doing something wrong, call me out publicly. I think that would be great. I have nothing to hide. And he said, you know, that would be good. You know, he'll get back to me. That was about three weeks ago. I haven't heard back, but I like and respect Doug and Holly. I'm not gonna allow that one statement to find them or their relationship with me. Uh, I was very, very hurt, and I was shocked and taken back by it. I don't know of anything that they were talking about that me and Michael are practicing or doing, so we have no idea where that came from. 
Is it gloss or spin? Well, if that was the case, then how come I wrote about this stuff in other books, other articles, and my newest book, which was seven years of research based on a THD uh, that I got on the apostolic, why did I deconstruct a lot of the things that are supposedly NAR before any of their books even came out? I mean, so, or before I was aware of them. So, you know, uh, they could accuse me of whatever they want, but the fact is we did not try to um, do anything but give those in our orbit and our realms of influence more discernment. Um, and uh, if someone wants to accuse me of gloss or spin, that's up to them. Okay. All yeah, right. Let well, me, so can I just yeah, tag so in on Doug, the back end? Okay, go ahead. Sure. Well, I just wanted to ask a question on the on the back end of Michael's question because when it comes to um, the NAR statement with prophecy and apostles, you I mean you clearly state uh, we reject uh, the belief that contemporary apostles carry the same authority uh, as did the the original twelve apostles. That's a concern that they have. Uh, the belief that contemporary prophets have the exact same function or carry the exact same authority of Old Testament prophets, which I think is extra clarified for people who want to know more about that in the prophetic standard statement, right? Uh, and then you deny that uh, the importance of Ephesians 4.11 ministry for the church today. Oh, no, you affirm that it's that it's good for today, um, but you deny the fact that it has to be organized in this kind of hierarchical way. So I would say that their concern that you spun this somehow um, is not evident in that statement. But there is one statement here that I think that they might have been able to pick up on um, a spin. And, and I'd be curious what your your take on this. In short, we deny any affiliation with what is presently characterized as NAR in many circles of both Christian and secular press. Uh, we also believe that the reports of an alleged conspiratorial worldwide dangerous NAR movement are highly exaggerated and misleading. I could see a, a Doug and Holly reading a statement like that and going, dude, these are legitimate concerns. And you have those legitimate concerns of guys like Todd Bentley. You had legitimate concerns, I'm sure, with people like Kat Kerr, um, you know, the physics of heaven, courts of heaven. Like there, there's some really wild books out there and teachings out there talking about travel into heaven and getting secret books and revelations written about you and talking to angels and dead folk. And I mean, all kinds of wild stuff. And, and I think that you would equally want to combat that it locking arms with Doug and Holly, but I think what what you're saying is everyone's being called NAR. It's not that dangerous. Uh, charismatics are are not NAR. But then when this other category of hyper charismatic wackiness, you're willing to combat and fight that as well. So I think that maybe there's just talking past one another. Would you think that that might be a fair interpretation of those of those passages? Oh, definitely. I mean, <laughs> I look. We tried to get input from dozens of scholars, theologians, and practitioners. We waited almost six weeks before we released it. So you can't get everything exactly uh, in a way that everyone's going to understand it. So when we made that statement of it being highly exaggerated, we were not talking about some of the problems. Because if, if there wasn't a huge problem or a crisis in the charismatic world, we wouldn't have wrote a statement to begin with. So that would be self reflecting We were not talking about that. We were just talking about the notion that the NAR itself is a global, intentional, organized conspiracy. Of course, the things we spoke about are not highly exaggerated. That is a problem. That has to be dealt with. Somebody has to take a stand, i.e., that's why we did what we did, or ergo, that's why we did what we mm -hmm. did. That's good. Michael, uh, I'm sorry I interrupted so, you. 
Oh, you're good. So, so why, why not? I can imagine Holly and Doug saying, well, if you agree on some of the basic tenets that we need to go after authoritative apostles and prophets, bringing new revelation and new Christian practices and all of, you know, all the stuff Josh talked about, if we can agree that this stuff is bad, why not just put a label on it and call it NAR, just like we do with other things. And we say, ah, that's Marcionism over there. Let's stay away from Marcionism. Of course, that's, that's a heresy. This isn't a heresy, but, but we, we could say, well, that's it to put it in more neutral categories. There's complementarianism. There's egalitarianism. I mean, we're human beings. We categorize, we make labels. Uh, why do we need to leave it as this amorphous thing that we can then not go after? Why not just call it the NAR? Um, and, and be done with it because then we can agree on what the NAR is and, and address it versus not calling it NAR, not having a label for it. What, what would you say if they push back and said, let's call this the NAR because that's what Peter Wagner called it. And that's what lots of people are calling it. Yeah. I don't have a problem calling it NAR. I think the issue is that, um, they were giving us the impression that it was a global conspiracy and then not just Doug and Holly but secular news evangelical leaders other outlets were lumping a lot of good people together under NAR and I think we did just what you said in the NAR statement we mentioned what was categorized as NAR we mentioned these aberrant practices and then we said we are not that we disapprove that or we you know we rebuke that whatever the language is so we did call things nar based on its category or based on its characterization but at the same time we were saying that there's no organized global conspiracy so it's hard to really communicate our motives which is one reason why i wanted to get on this show to give you guys an idea and your audience an idea of some mm -hmm. of the behind what we wrote that's good i like okay. that and and i have a question about one of these statements maybe from another angle that's not like hey the the nar critics are over here but like maybe there's a charismatic who reads your statement and goes well i didn't sign it because there was this one phrase and i didn't quite understand what he meant by it so i'm gonna read this phrase and and see if i can have you clarify it i i already expect i know the instinct of of how it's read but i want to almost intentionally misread it so that we can uh, get more detractor sign in the statement, right? So it says, we reject the belief that new revelation is essential for the life and growth of the church or that contemporary apostles or prophets are the only uh, ones privy to such new revelations. And it uses new revelations every time I said that in, in quotes. So you know uh, how they're talking about it. Anyway, so if we unpack this statement, someone might say something to the fact of, well, I believe that the gift of prophecy, the gift of apostles um, that, that God has given these gifts to the church and these people who have these gifts, they're part of the body. And each part of the body is to build up the church with every joint and ligament, supplying love, um, edifying the church until we come into the fullness uh, of the faith and knowledge, the mature stature, the fullness of Christ. We're, we're, so in that sense, I think prophecy and apostleships are essential. And, and that the new revelation is prophetic and that it is essential to build us up. How would you kind of respond to a charismatic who is reading it that way? Well, first of all, God gave us five expressions of Jesus's ministry DNA for a reason. And of course, if you're connected to apostolic leaders, it's going to edify your church. If you want to use the word align, uh, it doesn't mean if you're not that you won't 
fulfill God's purpose. Of course, if you connect with prophetic people, even evangelistic people or teachers or pastors, we need each other, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, we're one body. So we need one another. Um, uh, what we're concerned about is the understanding that there's new revelation. It's either equal to canonical sacred script or the sacred text of scripture uh, or even transcends that. And uh, when you have even the word revelation, I never use the word revelation. I say illumination. Uh, and when we prophesy, and I prophesy, I travel prophetically. I have a strong prophetic gift, and many of my friends do. But uh, you don't have to quench the spirit when you have a biblical framework that's accountable and that edifies the church and exalts the lordship of Christ rather than ourselves. And so when we see things like Todd Bentley going up into heaven and others and having conversations with departed saints, I mean, that could lead to necromancy. That could lead to saints. That could lead to some crazy stuff where another Bible is written, like the Book of Mormon. I mean, G, uh, Paul even said, if we are an angel from heaven, appear and preach any other gospel. Let him be eternally accursed, right? So it's mm -hmm. possible even for angels to give visions. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said that. So not all supernatural phenomena leads to biblical truth. And that's what we were trying to say. We need to protect biblical fidelity. Uh, the Bible is the high standard of faith. And to understand it, prophecy and prophets do not have canonized, scripturated words that we should follow equal to what we see in the Bible. And some of these prophets act as though if they prophesy something, you should obey it even right. before compare it to scripture or even before God bears witness in your spirit. Or and, and, you know, when we held some of these prophets accountable, they got really, really upset. And, and when Jeremiah Johnson uh, repented for making a mistake with predicting the uh, re-election of Donald Trump, he got death threats. He got people telling him, you're a prophet. You don't submit to pastors. You don't submit to anybody mm -hmm. who are you to apologize. I mean, it's crazy what's going on. And we sent the NAR statement to people, I won't mention their names, who should know better, some national leaders. And I was shocked at the level of biblical ignorance and lack of theological depth with some of their questions like, who's to say that the New Testament prophets and prophetic people don't have the equal authority to Old Testament prophets? Who's to say the present-day apostolic leaders don't have the same authority as the original apostles of the lamb and and i was shocked and it wasn't an argument it was honest questions so i gave you know answers and i tried to be true to the biblical text but there's just a lot of charismata sure. without biblical depth and yeah. i'm praying that we begin to draw a line in the sand and start as jesus said worship in spirit and truth, as he said, you're greatly in error because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. Why not have a convergence of two? Why not have theologically robust prophets and 
theologians who are also prophetic. Why not have that? That's how Jesus was. That's how Paul was. And that's what we try to do. Amen. Amen. I love that picture in uh, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, where uh, there are prophets and teachers getting together and worshiping the Lord with, and with fasting when the Holy Spirit speaks to them. And it starts a missionary movement coming out of the church in Antioch. And I, I love that because we need prophets and teachers getting together, uh, not fighting against each other. We need that word and spirit coming together. So I, I think that's important, Joseph. Um, I want to read you a quote from one of the first few pages of one of Doug and Holly's books about the New Apostolic Reformation. Um, I mean, it's actually just called a New Apostolic Reformation, question mark. And, um, and so uh, here's a quote, and I, I want to kind of get your response to it. It says, since NAR is not an organization or denomination, there is no official listing of NAR beliefs, leaders, or churches. But the one thing all participants in NAR share in common, in our view, is a controversial belief in the present-day offices of apostles and prophets. And they'll go on and they'll talk about uh, the authority of these apostles and prophets and the new revelation and so on. All things that you seem to uh, to disagree with, uh, or, and, and actually you would agree with them that these are problems. But the reason I bring this up is that the quote itself suggests like, hey, this this is something that not everybody is uh, is going to say like, hey, I'm NAR. I'm kind of reading between the lines here that there's no official website. There's no official belief. There's no official like NAR, uh, this or that. And so I wonder if Holly and Doug were on the show, I kind of feel like they would push back on your claim that the and I actually now I'm going to read another statement. And this is one Josh touched on earlier, but I think it bears revisiting it says in short we deny any affi affiliation with what is presently characterized as in nar in many circles of both christian and secular press we also believe that reports of an alleged conspiratorial worldwide dangerous dangerous nar movement are highly exaggerated and misleading now maybe you're talking about what's in the secular press but i think doug and holly would probably say well you're you're exaggerating exaggerating what we're saying too because we're not saying that it's conspiratorial we're saying that a lot of people don't even know they're in NAR. These are just beliefs that we've identified across these millions of believers in thousands of churches across the face of the earth. They would clarify it as a movement. They or they would say it's a movement. They would say that it's dangerous, but they, they might push back on the conspiratorial claim. And so all of that to kind of set up, when you use that word conspiratorial in your NAR statement, were you putting that on the secular press or were you putting that on Doug and Holly in terms of their characterization of, of the NAR? Oh, I think it's all of the above. I think from our conversations with Doug and Holly, our impression was they thought it was some kind of organized conspiracy. Um, that's probably the only area I didn't agree with in my conversation. Mm -hmm. They were literally shocked and they, when they, they mentioned certain, certain national uh, apostolic leaders, and when I told them they're not in U.S. Cal, as a matter of fact, I don't even know them and never met them, and they were like, what? This is on a telephone call. And uh, I, at least up to three years ago, they must have thought we were all working together. Um, and um, not that I don't respect them or, you know, it's not like I'm having a problem with them, but... Uh, you know, but not every national upstock leader works together. So it mm -hmm. seemed like 
I'm, I don't know now, maybe that's not their posture. But it's not just Holly and Doug. Everywhere I turn, it, it, mm-hmm. even if you Google my name, there's things about, uh, you know, an, R affi- an NAR affiliation. There's like websites based on the NAR. The way it's being characterized, it's mm-hmm. far more Holly as a, and both in the secular, but primarily, I guess, an evangelical uh, press. Uh, it's definitely being characterized as not only the new bogeyman, but some kind of organized conspiratorial movement. And that's why we were saying it. That's good. I've got a question. You've got a section and I only pulled out a few of these that I I thought were extremely punchy and extremely applicable. And you kind of touched on a little bit of this, but I'd love to get some of your commentary uh, on this. You you have a whole section on, we believe it's dangerous when in the NAR and Christian nationalism statement, you said, uh, when we, we think it's dangerous when we uh, compromise our ethics to keep our party or leader in power. Uh, we marry the cause of Christ to the cause of a political party or leader as if they were on, uh, they're one and the same. Uh, we uh, equate loyalty to God, which we should unconditionally, with loyalty to a political party, uh, which should be conditional. And then when our prayers and our prophecies become politically partisan. Uh, and I, I kind of wish, I would just ask, could you just kind of speak into this and where you see the charismatic movement going right now? Uh, My friend Dawson, I'm just going to steal a thought of his and say it on air like I do all the time, but I just don't cite him all the time. Uh, uh, Dawson said he thinks that one of the things that we saw in uh, Trump's election, his his, his election early on, was that uh, charismatics for the first time were recognized and had positions of power and were right there in the Oval Office with Donald Trump. And they've really never been invited to that capacity in that capacity uh, with presidents prior. And it's like, they didn't know what to do with it. And they were ecstatic to be there. And it's as if it, it nationalized the charismatic movement. And I'd be curious what you think the movement, where the the movement is going, uh, what things we need to avoid and how we need to avoid those things moving forward, uh, which with what I would assume is going to be a conservative uh, election, this next election cycle, just because of I think the way that the polls are going, uh, I'd be curious what you think we should be avoiding as a charismatic movement. Well, I think it's good that charismatics are involved politically. I think as concerned citizens, we should all vote. Some of us will be called to run for office. Some of us will be called to help people get elected. And there's uh, nothing wrong with that. Jesus called us the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Uh, But the concern we had was the conflation where It almost seemed like the United States was the kingdom of God. If Donald Trump didn't get elected, then Christianity in America was doomed. Uh, We equated almost like the empire with the kingdom, and that is a problem. And, of course, you have people who think that the United States is the new Israel or the only other nation besides Israel to have a covenant with God when I say, well, Israel didn't even make a covenant of God. God made a covenant with Abraham, put him to sleep, walked between the pieces of the animal and spoke destiny and spoke covenant. And Hebrews 6 says he swore by himself. So no man makes a covenant with God. God makes a covenant with us. God's claim is not just on the United States. Jesus inherits all the nations, it says in Psalm 2, verse 8 and 9. He's the king of kings, not just the king of the church. And so our position is, yes, the United States has, has, may have an exceptional call and has been a great blessing historically, uh, but at the same time, it is not the only nation 
that is uh, claimed by Jesus. He claims all nations, and we also have to be careful that we don't put it in the same position as a theocracy the way Old Testament Israel was. Um, you know, uh, furthermore, in terms of where I see it going, I just think it's going to get worse in some ways. I think those who have dug in their heels, let's say the number is 25% of all conservative evangelical charismatics, they're going to dig in their heels even more. I think there will be a distinction between what is um, biblical and what is not biblical more and more. I think that there'll also be another counter movement like what we're trying to do with these kind of statements. And uh, I intend on having conferences on theology and doctrine. Um, I think sometimes charismatics think theology is a dirty word or doctrine is a dirty word. When the theologians were, called, were also divines, they were the mystics. Even John was called John the Theologian, and he had all these visions, right? So uh, I think uh, there's going to be a movement towards understanding biblical truth without compromising prophetic fire and charismata and movements. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I just think there's going to be a greater distinction more and more as time goes on. Amen. I'm hoping some of these national charismatic leaders who have gone too far in one direction and conflating the gospel with American politics. I'm hoping they've read this statement. They've read, they've heard some of the feedback. I know offline without mentioning names, I've had many conversations with some of the luminaries of the movement. I've texted them. I've tried to reason with them exegetically from scripture. I have a good friendship with some of them and they've listened to me, but I can't say they've changed. Uh, I don't know. I don't follow all this stuff. And so uh, I'm hoping there is a movement back to some balance. And, uh, but, you know, you know, I'm not an expert. I, I can't tell you what's going to happen. Only God knows. I just know one thing. The gates of hell will not prevail against Amen. the remnant church, the true church. Amen. Uh, Joseph, you mentioned several times, like, not calling people out by name. You mentioned how Holly and Doug did call you out by name. What do you think is the responsibility of Christian leaders when it comes to using someone's name versus not using someone's name? Because there's, of course, a danger that we lump somebody in uh, with a movement that they're not actually associated with. And we talked about that earlier. But could there also be a danger that if we don't name somebody's name, that people keep following that person? And for all the private appeals that we make that if they're not going to change and they're just going to keep deceiving people, does there come a time? I mean, I'm thinking of Galatians chapter two, Peter has a public hypocrisy and, uh, and Paul rebukes him publicly for his public hypocrisy and essentially his modeling a teaching that goes against the gospel. And so would you say, I, I think you would probably say there's at least a time to use someone's name because uh, there are certainly plenty of examples of that in the New Testament. So I think my question for you would be, what is that time? At what point does it cross enough of a line where we need to say, this person has a dangerous teaching? Yeah, well, that's a very subjective question and position. Uh, I don't know if there's a explicit answer for that, but I did call out Todd Bentley, I did call out um, Joseph Prince and wrote a position paper against hypergrace. 
when I uh, read through his book, Destined to Rain, I think it was. Um, I've definitely called, I called out John Hagee when he taught a double covenant and that the Jews didn't have to be saved, uh, that, that the gospel was for the Gentiles. I read something where he said that years ago. Um, I definitely call out someone who crosses the line uh, and gets into heresy if I think they're going to mislead many people. With some of these other people, um, the reason why I haven't called them out by name is because many of them are my friends, and I'm hoping to keep, I want to be a bridge builder, not a bridge burner, and I'm hoping that through our friendship, it would open up door for continual dialogue, right? Right now, I have dialogue with some of them that I may not agree with. Uh, that would be closed forever if I were to call them out and embarrass them. So people don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, if I think anybody goes too far, I'll call them out. I mean, there's no question. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, some people have gone perilously close to the edge, and they haven't fallen off the cliff yet, but they're close. But what we have done and what I've done is definitely dealt with these things in my articles. I have an article that goes out to over 180 nations every week. It's carried by a lot of magazines and, you know, uh, newspapers. And, you know, uh, for example, I guess five or seven years ago, there was some kind of thing about grave sucking. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah. And we're laying on graves and trying to get the anointing. And so I didn't call out anyone's name, but I debunked it exegetically, talking about what was really going on when the dead body fell and touched the bones of Elisha, how it had nothing to do with getting a mantle or commissioning that person or anything like that. And so Sucking I will- an anointing up. Yeah, I mean, I'll- I've been, I've been on to Josh about that. Private conversation for sure. But just wow, uh, you know. Sorry, Josh. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said that on the show. Listen, listen, Michael. Praying at your future tombstone is not the same as sucking graves. Okay, <laughs> that's entirely a different thing. Okay, I'm just, I'm just kidding. That, was, that got dark so quick. Okay, Justin, <laughs> that got real dark in. for sure. <laughs> After the prophetic standard statement, I came out with a book. I guess it's about 200 pages called "The Purpose, Process, and Power of Prophetic Ministry." And in the book, I get into, I guess it's like 10 aberrant teachings that are penetrating the charismatic church, things like open theism and Pelagianism and, uh, you know, various kinds of heresies that people in the charismatic world don't understand. Wait a minute, this is, this has been already called heretical by prior doctors of the church or a council and uh, antinomianism, things like that. And and so it just has different names like hyper grace or whatever, but it's antinomianism. So yeah, I try to really unpack this stuff in detail in, in my book on the pro prophetic ministry. And I get into why the prophets didn't have 2020 vision, you know, all the mistakes that were made with the election. So that's unpacked in my book. So sometimes you can't get it all out in a statement but, you know, that's why me and Michael write books. So people who want to know more will delve into it. Yeah, that's good. Hey, we are at that time where we've got to wrap up. Dr. Materia, thank you so much for being with us. We really enjoyed your content. Uh, we hope that we didn't burn any bridges for you because we have 
I think maybe less reservations with naming names. And hopefully those people uh, that are your friends don't necessarily associate you over the top though. with agreeing everything we say. We're not, I don't know think we're over the top, but we've definitely seen some things on YouTube. And this is kind of our, our <laughs> engagement. If people want to know where we land on this public teaching, it's appropriate to have public responses really. And it, it really can come down to any disagreement. We can say, Hey, we disagree with that. We don't have to call someone a heretic to say in a kind hey, spirit. In yeah. fact, we, we, with such a kind spirit have said, this is why we really disagree with something that Chris Reed said, or we really disagree with something that uh, uh, Isaiah Saldivar said. They've both come on the show since disagreeing with them, right? Because we're trying not to do it in a hypercritical spirit. So I think you can disagree. I think you can do it in a good spirit. And I hope that people who are watching know that there is a way to engage that. Uh, and I'm thankful for Joseph's stance and trying to win his friends, uh, but also calling out doctrinal error. So I think that as you you know work through this, uh, again, hopefully we didn't burn any bridges for you. So uh, thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you so much for coming on, Joseph. I want to remind you guys, there are links in the description. If you want to support the channel, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And also, if you want to come to the conference in uh, March 2nd through the 4th of 2023, you need to check out the Healing and Deliverance Conference there in North Carolina. We are booking up seats quick, so you want to make sure to get those as soon as possible. Links can be found in the description. Uh, Michael Roundtree, anything else I'm missing, buddy? Man, I, I just want to say thank you to Joseph for coming on the show, but also for creating this statement. Uh, you know, I'm in this weird space of, you know, I've read Doug and Holly's stuff, and while I did disagree with some of it, it helped me in some ways and and forming some uh, just it, it just categorizing uh, certain things, and and so I found it to be helpful in some ways, even though I disagreed with it. I also loved your statement, and I signed your statement, and I found it to be very helpful. I also signed your prophetic. Uh, your prophetic declaration statement, or whatever we, we whatever he we signed call it. both of them before we went live, though. So, like just now, he I, signed your statement, and then the, we made a prophetic well, state, standard you, statement response. You and he outed that me, one bro. right before we did it too. You outed, bro. So, I'm, I'm gonna tell them more than just the grave sucking story, bro. <laughs> well, <laughs> Go look at the timestamps. I'm just being honest, you know. <laughs> so, uh, no, well, actually, I've been meaning to sign it for a while, and the show reminded me. So, hey, I just signed it, but. Uh, <laughs> I like this statement. I really do. And I don't see why Holly and Doug would, would have a problem with it. I don't. And I'd love for them to come on the show and, and tell us so we could dialogue some more. But to me, it seems to address everything they had an issue with. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's all hold hands and worship Jesus together. I don't know. But uh, anyway, I love your approach. I think you have a, a great spirit about you as well as uh, discernment and, and mind and thinking through these matters. So just appreciate you coming on the show and doing the work that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that we should offer it up to you as well. Uh, Dr. Matera, do you have any kind of closing thoughts? Well, when I heard your exposition on our statement, I think you guys had a problem with one part of the statement where it said visionary leaders. And I think you thought it was a corporate term, you know, like from a CEO perspective. And mm -hmm. what we meant by visionary leader was describing an apostolic leader as someone who is inspired by God and has visions from God, not mystical vision, but vision to accomplish things. Basically, that's what we were talking about. Had nothing to do mm -hmm. with, you know, with CEO. And we also mentioned that an apostolic leader could be a non-charismatic. So I would consider someone like Tim Keller as an apostolic leader. My friend, Mac Peer, mm -hmm. who started movement day and different th things. They're not charismatic. Uh, Billy sure Graham. Does. I love if that. He wasn't I don't know who is. He has started institutions and 
things that will out, have, have outlived him. So Billy Graham is a mighty apostle. D.L. Moody. Um, people don't have to be known as charismatics in the way we're framing apostolic. And of course, in the New Testament, they're supposed to move in signs and wonders and things like that. But generally speaking, you don't have to be a charismatic and be uh, what we would classify as that Ephesians 4.11 apostolic gift. Mm -hmm. That's good. I love That's that. That's good clarification. Thank you for that. Well, guys, I said earlier, like, share, subscribe. Uh, if you want to support the channel, links in the description. Go check out the conference, all that and more. We'll see you next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, we did just tape a pretty spectacular show uh, on answering the question, does God use sickness? Uh, just filmed that episode with Michael Miller. Uh, that'll publish this Wednesday. So be looking for that episode. We'll see you guys later. Blessings. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.